0: Midlands today on Midlands 183 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official Westmeath. No county loves Renault more. P.O.Brien.ie When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner.
1: Good morning. I don't mean to wind you up, but this story is going to raise your blood pressure. I just have to start with it. So, the HSE has paid out two allowances to the same man who was claiming blind benefit for ten years. So, he had one claim in the CHO Area 7... Which is another name for Dublin, and another in the CHO Area 4, which is another name for Cork. Why they call them these things, I don't know. But the two paying systems are not integrated together. So the computer in Dublin didn't talk to the computer in Cork and tell the HSE, this guy is claiming in both places. And he got 30 grand out of you and me and every other taxpayer over the space of 10 years and was only caught in 2019. And now, the two HSE areas can't make up their mind how they're going to recoup the money. Does it go to Dublin? Does it go to... I mean, heavens above! If you subscribe to Netflix, you can only use your email once for a free trial. Not twice. And likewise... Surely your PPS number can only be used in one part of the country, not in several. What on earth are we doing? 2021. Cloud computing, all sorts of technology, and this is happening. Anyway, good morning. How are you? On the agenda today, why hauliers are bringing Dublin to a halt? Also, Brian Clunan does DIY, and much more besides. We have plenty of good news on the menu as well, because actually, on the front of the Irish Times, even though it is a COVID story... There is a little bit of a glimmer, a wry smile maybe forming at the curve of Tony Houlihan's lips. There are tentative signs the fourth Covid wave is abating. So that means they're going to not impose any further restrictions this week. The government will leave it until the end of next week before deciding if any additional measures are needed. Fingers crossed that trend continues. They also point out in the Irish Times how 200 cover teachers are being recruited because it is so difficult to get substitutes at the moment. And especially since the changes to close contact rules, meaning that entire households will have to isolate if one of them tests positive for COVID-19. That has had an effect on staffing, well, everywhere, but particularly in schools. So they're hiring 200 new subs More student teachers will be allowed work in schools. They won't be allowed go out on any professional development courses at primary level. So teachers will have to put off their training courses until next year. And retired teachers can go back to the classroom without any reduction in their pension. So at least there's a bit of proactive work underway to try and get rid of that uh, shortfall in substitute teachers. Okay, let's get away from COVID-19. Oh, by the way, I just want to mention, unfortunately have to mention, West Meath is now the county in the country with the highest incident rate. And if you recall the last time this happened, and it was in Offaly in particular, they opened the walk-in testing centres. Would you rather have a walk-in testing centre in your own area or rely on the antigen test? Seems the antigen tests are very much taking over. Anyway, okay, lead. COVID-19, go away. Been wanting to say that for 18 months. So, do you remember Bruce Willis in Armageddon hopped into the aircraft along with Ben Affleck up they went into space and they launched a big operation on an asteroid to blow it up with a nuclear bomb. NASA is going to do something not quite as dramatic but to achieve the same end. So there is an asteroid called dimorphous it's not going to hit the earth but if it did it would do damage it's about 525 feet across so it would be worse than a nuclear bomb going off in a city if it did go through the atmosphere and land but what they're going to do is send a craft towards it to collide with it and knock it off course this is an experiment It's not going to hit the Earth one way or the other, but they want to see if there was an inbound asteroid, whether this tactic would be effective. We're not going to find out, by the way, until next year. It doesn't happen over the space of a 90-minute movie, unfortunately. We're going to have to see if our theory will work. The House of Gucci is a movie that many people have been waiting to see. The sensational story of murder, madness, glamour and greed. Starring Adam Driver, Lady Gaga, Jeremy Irons, Al Pacino. How could you go wrong with a cast like that? Well, the Irish Times only gives it two stars of a review. It says it is a pointless, plodding movie from Ridley Scott. Again, it's hard to go wrong when... Ridley Scott is in the director's chair but they say the writing is awful, the acting is confused and it's just not a good watch. Now I've seen other reviews that have given it four and five stars so I'm just curious is this a movie you want to go and see and what would be your verdict based on the trailers and everything you've read so far? I know Mrs. Faulkner is very keen to watch it now, we love our spuds in Ireland, but we could have a problem. In fact, we're being warned that the potato famine could be repeated. This warning comes from a farmer in Scotland, John K. Lind, And Mr. Lind has written a letter to our Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnelogue. Now, Mr. Lind produces potato seed and Scottish potato seed is quite reliable because it's grown in a cold climate and it tends to be free of disease. Whereas if you were to import potato seed from the continent, you wouldn't have the same assurance. So why don't we keep buying from Scotland, you ask? Well, our old friend is back. Brexit! So the European Union does not agree with the policies in Britain when it comes to phytosanitary regulations. Have you ever heard of phytosanitary regulations? So because the two sides can't agree, farmers in Ireland can't import seed from Scotland anymore. And Pippa Hackett, who is the Junior Minister at the Department of Agriculture, she has replied to Mr. Lind, the Scottish farmer, saying her department is acutely aware of the needs of the Irish potato industry to access high-grade seed. Ireland has repeatedly requested the EU to allow for a temporary derogation to facilitate the importing of seed from Great Britain in the interests of our potato industry, but the EU hasn't granted this because the UK won't commit on dynamic alignment with EU Phytosanitary rules. Dynamic alignment. The terminology sometimes. You need a strong coffee at this hour of the morning, don't you? Here's a story that is heartbreaking. Lorna, or Lorena, I should say. Lorena Marr says she didn't like running. She still sometimes doesn't like running. There are days when she is tired and when she is stressed and looking out this morning and you see very cold rain falling you think ah, I'd rather stay in but she knows if she goes out and pounds the pavement she will feel better because it was her way of getting through grief she's 38 years of age and already she's a widow her husband Kevin along with their children went on a trip to London five years ago and he wasn't well He was complaining of a pain in his back initially. Then he developed symptoms similar to a cold. But he persuaded Lorena and the kids to go out, have a day in London. And she rang him and he said he was still struggling, but okay. She got back to where they were staying and there were no lights on and she told the kids to stay in the car. She went inside. And her eldest son Callum recalled only the scream because she found Kevin sitting up but dead in the bed. It turns out he had an infection which caused fluid to accumulate around his heart. And like anybody in that situation she was beside herself with grief, didn't know whether she was coming or going but what got her through it was running. The mindfulness The ability to sob openly while running through forests, running away from people. So she would encourage you, if you are up to it and if you're going through a similar experience, it might just give you the relief you need. Anyway, you can read her story in the Irish Times. Uh, Finally, actually I'll give you one or two more. The 91-year-old architect, how did he celebrate his birthday? He took a day off work. Carl O'Neill, fantastic, 91 years of age, graduated from University College Dublin in 1955 and still has no intention of stopping work permanently. So at the age of 91, he said, yeah, I'll put the feet up just for the day. He's a father of five. He has 10 grandchildren and he's very happy and enjoying life and long may that continue. The Toy Show. There are calls for a bank holiday to coincide with the Toy Show. Now, I'll tell you why this is coming up. You know this talk, and so far all it is is talk, of rewarding frontline workers with a bank holiday. And would we hold it in February? Or maybe we'd hold it in March to make St. Patrick's Day a two-day event? Well, Owen in Meath is a little boy who says he spends all day getting ready for the toy show. And he is starting a petition that the Friday of the toy show should be a bank holiday. And I'd say dead right, man. Why not? Final one for you. Banneher College shared a tweet yesterday. One of its students, on a frosty morning, when the car wouldn't start, could only grab the tractor and drive... Into class, and you see the picture there. You've got Hyundais, you've got Toyotas, you've got Volkswagens all in the parking spaces, and then it's not in colour, so I'm not sure. Possibly a Massey Ferguson sitting there proudly. But I'm just thinking, what's the most interesting way you ever got to school? Because I'm sure in rural areas, not unusual to grab the tractor. Well, maybe there was something else, some other story that you can share with your own grandchildren in years to come. 083 30 10 on text and on WhatsApp. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Now, still on the agenda today, when you run a creche and your staff have to isolate, but yet you have to maintain minimum numbers, how do you keep the doors open? It's almost an impossible quandary. And the Westmeath man who will help crash a spacecraft, into an asteroid. Yes, you heard that right. He is actually on this team with NASA and the whole experiment is to see would the Armageddon Bruce Willis scenario work out? Uh, So Bruce Willis himself is going to be here very soon, sort of. Now, the debate continues regarding our horticultural industry which has relied on homegrown peat, so to speak, for many years. But peat harvesting, as you know, has come to a halt and the product is now being imported, sometimes from a considerable distance in Eastern Europe. The question might well be asked, where is the environmental benefit in this? And so a bill is coming before the shannad, which would introduce a licensing system for horticultural peat harvesting. Not for energy production, not for home heating, just for horticulture. Kevin Mahan represents Growing Media Ireland. He's based in Rathowen in County Westmeath. Kevin, good morning.
2: Uh, good morning, Will. Thanks for having us on.
1: Just a quick explainer. Growing Media Ireland is what?
2: Uh, we're a representative body of the substrate producers in Ireland, so the, the growers of Ireland, the growers of mushrooms, the growers of lettuce and ornamental plants, we supply the growing media that they use for growing the plants. So most of the companies you'll never have heard of because we're strictly business to business. Um, Some of them you will know in in the retail sector that the product that you buy in in woodies for for growing at home, but um, mainly it's it's, um, business to business professionals.
1: When we spoke before, there were stockpiles of Irish peat, but they were being slowly and surely exhausted. What is the state of stock now?
2: Uh, Well, I can can say because in, in our industry, we're always prepared to have a couple of bad years just being the vagaries of Irish weather, so typically we would hold a couple of years' stock, and now that's different for the mushroom uh, uh, substrate producers they they can't hold stock it has to be so but most those stocks are fairly well exhausted now because it was twenty nineteen was the last time it was possible to harvest in Ireland, so yes, we've commenced importing peat and mainly from the Baltic, but peat can come in from from uh, Sweden or Denmark or the UK because it's harvested in, in the Baltic. It's harvested elsewhere, it's harvested in, in Canada. It's, this is a peculiarly Irish problem, so it's, it's nothing to do with the EU.
1: Interesting, because the rationale for ending peat production has been the environmental argument, particularly around energy production, except more so than in horticultural use. But are we somewhat alone or are we just early in taking this step?
2: No, uh, what's actually happened is uh, like it, peat, the, technically the harvesting of peat is not banned in Ireland, it's just what's happened is that the law which governed um, peat production in September 2019 was struck out because it wasn't in compliance with EU law with the Habitats Directive and um, the Environmental Impact Assessment Directive. So it's just our law is uh, dysfunctional and so what's what's happened is that we've all found ourselves, uh, including Borden and Mona, the state-owned company, we found ourselves in a situation where we had been exempted under, going back to the 1963 Planning Act, from planning permission. But overnight, basically, planning permission became a requirement. And it's the same as if you've built a house without planning permission. But of course, we didn't need planning permission, but overnight it was kind of introduced on us. So now we have to go through possibly a five- to six-year process, because it's 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 four different stages. There's two stages in onboard Planola. You do leave for substitute consent. If you get that, then you can apply for substitute consent to onboard Planola. And if you get that, then you can apply for planning permission. So, for instance, the company I work for has a BOG uh, beside the factory in Rathone, which spans two counties. So that requires two planning permissions, one to Longford County Council, one to Westmead County Council. So one or both of those may be turned down. But let's assume we do get that planning permission, then we can go to the EPA for a license. So you have to do it in that sequential process. So it's a completely unsuitable process for an existing business which has been operating and not just our business, the old companies in the sector and members of GMI. um, We've been operating for 40 years um, successfully. Without damaging the environment, and uh, but but now we're faced with this unwieldy um, in, um, regulatory process that will take because at each each one of those stages can take a couple of years to get through. You know yourself for planning permission.
1: Yes, but in those other countries you mentioned, the UK and Canada, accepted because they're not in the EU, yes. the Habitats Directive would also apply. So how onerous is their planning
2: system? Well, it, it's the the problem is that. We've been—we're an existing activity that's been plunged back into as if you were a start-up. So uh, you know we're we're quite different in that. Um, it, it's it, it's we've been we well they first of all they wouldn't have this multi-layer. Uh, typically, it's a single single process, and that's what this bill, thankfully, is proposing to do: is to introduce uh, a one-stop shop, which was also called for, by the way, by. Um, by the Just Transition Commissioner back in April in his report that that he he pointed out how how dysfunctional our planning and licensing system was, that he recommended we have a one-stop shop, um, a fast-track system, which ideally would be operated by the EPA. And and this is what this bill will help to do. And and it has a a sunset clause on it that would... um, expire at the end of um, December 2030.
1: So if it works as it's set out on paper, how long might it take from the moment you approach first to getting your licence?
2: Well, um, what it would do is would it would um, require the EPA to set out the guidelines, the best available techniques for us to follow, which, of course, we already Follow um, the same way that Bordemona and other companies in the sector in the EU follow. So we we have the same processes that our companies in 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 the Baltic would use. So once we follow the guidelines as set out by the EPA, we can continue to operate on that until we're issued a license. So that's the idea that there's there's um, an exemption period through which um, you can continue working. Um, under the guidance and regulation of the EPA. So we would dispense with the, um, the planning requirement because these the, the, on board Planola and, uh, and the um, planning requirements and EPA, they're very similar requirements that you have to go through environmental impact assessments. So, but it's just because of our unwieldy four-stage process that it takes so long.
1: Now keeping okay. in mind this is only in the Shannon at the moment it's uh, yes. being pushed yes. through by Regina Doherty and Robbie Gallagher it would obviously have to go through the Dáil, the President and so on Yes From the soundings you've taken is it going to get the necessary support?
2: Well thankfully um, it has the support of I think about over 50 Senators so it looks like it'll have quite a, a, an easy passage through the Shannon so uh, then really it's up to the government to take this up and and the doll. so the next stage would would be that it would go to um to be debated in the doll. so yeah look at it's still going to take uh, some time to get through the shannet. but if there's a willingness to to solve this problem and we need we need it solved because we're you know we can't continue in a crazy situation where we're importing peat from from um, 3000 kilometers away and jeopardising the jobs of 17,000 people. Um, most of them, by the way, employed in, in the Midlands, broadly speaking. Um,
1: so I know your principal we, concern is horticulture, but a few listeners who either work for Borden Amona Mona or otherwise have an interest, they're wondering, would this apply for harvesting peat, for energy, for home heating, for purposes other than horticulture?
2: No, the bill actually is specifically for horticulture. Um, so the uh, the really the uh, urgency of this is for growers because what what the concern is is that really t- there's particularly for peat for growing mushrooms and for uh, lettuce for example it's very heavy so it just won't be economic to to import that and like just in the mushroom sector alone there's three thousand. 600 people employed in that so realistically what will happen is if this bill doesn't progress or or something similar to it then we really are jeopardizing these jobs and so the focus is on horticulture and there are alternatives to to fuel but really we don't have alternatives to uh, growing media for for uh, our vegetables and and uh, our mushrooms and our ornamental plants so it, it will end up being imported whereas with fuel we do have alternatives.
1: Although presumably you're going to have to develop alternatives in that you'd mentioned a sunset close on this by 2030. Yeah.
2: Oh, well, we're, we're already using uh, like, uh, um, as far as I know nearly every company in the sector uh, is using alternatives. Uh, we've been using wood fibre certainly in our plant for the last 17 years. We're using bark, we're importing coir from Sri Lanka and India. So um, currently, we're using about typically 20% non-peat with our peat mixes. So, but peat is is the most reliable um, gr- growing media uh, additive that we have, and and it, it's the, the problem with the alternatives is there just isn't enough of them all available at the moment. So it'll just take take time to, for them to come on stream. Um, like we can't, we just wouldn't. for instance that vessel of peat that came in from Latvia with uh, 200 truckloads of peat, um, for us to produce the same amount of wood fibre would take us about five and a half months uh, to produce that because we don't have the availability of the wood chips, we don't have enough um, um, protruders to produce it, so it's it's going to take, and likewise, bark is in short supply. It's used for energy. The wood chips we use for producing our wood fiber is used for energy. So we're competing against the energy sector for that they're being burnt um, in Eden Derry, for example, So and and combined heat and power plants, which are operating around the country. So there there is a problem in having the availability and also the quality of these alternatives such as you know for example compost it's not always reliable Um, and generally speaking the other alternatives to peat just aren't as consistent and safe as as peat
1: well it seems for the moment you may have the makings of a solution in the form of this bill we'll watch with interest how the debate flows and if there is any opposition to it and what the substance of that is kevin thank you very much for taking our call
2: thanks very much Will. nice talking to you and And you. you
1: He is the secretary of Growing Media Ireland and he's based in Rathowen in County Westmeath. After 10, how this individual managed to claim €30,000 of your money and my money by somehow having one uh, claim in an office in Dublin and another claim in a HSE office in Cork and the HSE didn't pick up under the one umbrella What was going on? And is this just the tip of the iceberg? How many other people have double claims or heavens above, maybe triple or quadruple claims? Who knows? Anyway, let's keep the blood pressure a little bit lower for a few minutes. When you run a creche and you have to maintain a minimum level of staffing according to the number of children in your care, unplanned absences are a problem. But especially when they're not just because of illness, when it happens through a close contact situation, the number of absences inevitably increases. Regina Bushell is the Managing Director of Groveland's Childcare and it has operations in Tullamore, in Mullingar, in Athlone. Regina, good morning. I know you speak for uh, Shasuas as well, which is a representative group of early learning and childcare providers. Can you just give us a handle on the situation at the moment when it comes to staffing?
3: Well, when it comes to staffing at the moment, I don't, there are so many services all around the country this morning who wake up, providers who will get a call to say, I've been a close contact, I now have to isolate for 10 days or whatever they had been advised to do by the HSE. Um, they have, a, I think, a number, and I can speak from our own situation, we kept our centres COVID free for 19 months. And... That was done by hard work and total commitment by our staff and our parents, who were absolutely fantastic during this. But the whole thing, like with the spread in the last few weeks, it has been absolutely impossible. So like other providers all over the country, because we, our staff had to go to be tested, um, and that takes you know, up to two or three days to be down. So we've have, we have had to close pods, which was unfortunate. But again, the parents responded so supportively to that and that's the story around the country at the moment. Mm. How
1: many are in a pod? Pardon? How many children are in a pod?
3: It, that it depends. It can be three, six babies. It can be 12 babies. It can be 22 children. You know, um, depending on, on the, the ratio required, like it's three to one for babies, um then one to five for toddlers, and one to twenty, one to twelve, sorry, or one to eight, depending mm. on whether the children are full day or um, sessional services only. So it really is—it is a struggle in meeting those ratios when you have one person that goes down. That's fine, but the situations are arriving that if you have. Um, people covering pods and everything else, it can take over three people out in a day. And like that can be up to, depending on, on the way people are interacting, it can be six people you can be down on one day.
4: Can so I
1: make a comparison? And service, obviously this isn't really. an exact comparison, Regina, but with primary schools, we've discussed the substitution issues they're facing and 200 substitutes are being recruited into the system. They're allowing more student teachers Again, depending on experience, to work in the classroom. They're suspending in-service training. So are there solutions to your situation that perhaps parallel?
3: Absolutely, yes. And I have met, I have met um, along with some other providers, with officials uh, from the GCE DIY in the last few weeks to look at solutions. We offered them solutions to, the, to that, also pointing out as we heard yesterday with some radio interviews that you know um where teachers are also and principals are struggling to cover in schools one teacher said that they had on, that they had unqualified people supervising um children uh, in the room and that's all that we're doing with supervising because they're not teachers and um, we were looking for for support of bringing in what we would, would say are competent, capable, and able people to support us that we would know, that are known to us, that, you know, um, maybe you, know, you, you have to get guard the vetting. That also is, is a problem for all of us, schools as well as ourselves, because that can take a number of days to come through. And um, then looking at, we would ask the same thing. There are a number of students who are studying childcare and early years in colleges and in different training centres around the country. We should also be able to do the same thing, even though they're not qualified, to be able, fully qualified, to be be able to uh, have their support if they were willing to give that support to us. So there are other things we've asked for as well. We've asked for um, the childcare to be added to the critical employment list. And for visas to be looked at from other countries, maybe outside the the Europe, you know, within Europe but outside Europe as well, that might like to come and work in Ireland for a few years. Our students go, or our you know people qualified in childcare in Ireland go to other countries to work, and other English-speaking countries. And we would look to try and um, you know that support to be given to be given to us. Um, It really is, you know, the the frustration and the stress that's there in the sector at the moment is is really, really very high, Um, both among those working the early years, educators working in in the sector and for the providers working in the sector, because it doesn't stop. It's not nine to five. It's all weekend, every weekend for, I'd say, the last month where we're getting calls. And that then sets up a whole Dominoes reaction if you like of what we have to do between calls to parents to inform them in particular our working parents who are relying on us to be there for them and that's very stressful for them when they have to stay out of work as well Naturally, um, Unfortunately, it's a situation
1: that is of nobody's making and at least you've identified some solutions, albeit obviously you have to finesse them around how qualified uh, a student might be before they're acceptable or not. But hopefully this uh, moves at pace and you don't face these challenges for too much longer. Regina, just finally, did you win a big award?
3: Yes, we won crash of the we won crash of of the year 2021 from the Irish Business Foundation, and um, that was um, that's really it's really great great for us, great for my entire team in, in, in Grovelands, and give us all a bit of a a bit of a boost at at this time. Um, Badly
1: needed but well deserved. Uh, thank Re- you. Regina, congratulations to all your team. Thank you for taking our call.
3: Thanks, Well, Thanks very much.
1: Bye-bye. Regina Bushel from Groveland's Childcare. Now, who are you going to meet today? Well, the truckers who are fed up of fuel prices. Join the club, guys. But what is the answer? The Westmeath scientist who thinks he's Bruce Willis and the Meath boy who wants the toy show to be a bank holiday. When you pick up that phone, dial the number 0818 103. You'll get straight through. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Does the right hand of the HSE know what the left is doing? The Irish Times tells us today how one individual was able to claim a blind welfare allowance in two offices for nearly 10 years. In doing so, he was overpaid more than €30,000. One claim was in Dublin... The other claim was in Cork. And it also says in this audit, the two areas of the HSE can't make up their mind how the money will be recouped. Now, Brian Stanley is a Sinn Féin TD in Lee Shoffley, but he's also chairman of the Oroxis Public Accounts Committee, which oversees how your money is spent. Deputy Stanley, good morning.
5: Good morning, well, and good morning to your listeners.
1: If you sign up for a Netflix account, you'll get a free trial and the way they avoid you getting another free trial is you can't use the same email twice. Why isn't it the same with our PPS numbers?
5: Well, I think that's the question, that when PPS numbers were brought in many years ago, that was the idea of the PPS number, was that it was to heat everybody's file. But I suppose at the outset it's important to say that, you know, that the blind allowance, it's a very modest payment of €61.50 a week. It's very important that it's there, uh, I would like to see it even a bit higher because people who are blind, you know, do have extra costs. They do have a, extra uh, costs incurred getting about. They need to use taxis more. Uh, they need to, uh, you know, they need to pay for help. Uh, and I think it's important that's there and maintained. And we get it to the people who really need it. But, but obviously, you know, the cases that's highlighted in the Irish Times today, and it's not just one case, there's, there's other cases as well in Cork and in, and in Kerry, uh, show that uh, the system isn't working. Uh, it shows that uh, you know the, the, uh, the audit that was carried out, and it's I welcome the fact that the audit was carried out. It found that um, only three quarters of a sample staff had completed mandatory training uh, in uh, in Cork and Kerry. Um, you know, in re, in regard to what. So there's an issue, obviously, with training. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, there's an issue with with the financial system HSE, and I suppose well, you know, the amount of money involved here, while well, it's the small. Um, it highlights, I think it highlights the link to the public, the fact that within the HSE, and we've been examining this uh, at the Public Accounts Committee, we've had the HSE in a number of times over the last year and a half, and indeed Rachel back in again before Christmas, Paul Reid and his senior management team, to speak to them about uh, their financial systems. They don't have an integrated financial system. Uh, they don't have an integrated procurement system. Um, the and they don't have integrated systems return.
1: in many ways. I'm sorry to cut across you, but patients will often complain that, let's say they go to one hospital and they give all their information, medical details, history and so on. They have to do the same in the next hospital. There isn't a central database for patient records and continuity of care either. It's it's very 1980s. What happened to cloud computing?
5: Apparently, uh, its 1960s, I'm afraid, will... Um, there's I, there I was is born in the eighties
1: I was being kind, but anyway, go ahead
5: <laughs> but uh, but there is a, there is um, there are issues there in relation to in relation to the systems within it now look at it's important also to recognise you know it's a huge huge organization one hundred and thirty over 130,000 people working in it uh and providing a whole range of services so it's important to recognise that, but there are some basics that are not right. Let me give you an example in relation to the finances. In 2014, the CNAG, he's the man with 200 of his staff who audits government accounts and government spending and who we deal with on a weekly basis. And I, in fact, I'm, I meet one of the senior auditors this morning from the office in relation to uh, this week's uh, you know accounts for this week uh, at, at, at our committee. And they looked at all this back in 2014 and they said the HSC needed an integrated financial system uh, to monitor procurement and spending, and also payments to a multiplicity of organisations that provide services for them. You know, like uh, the section, what's called Section 38 and Section Thirty-Nines. That's where the HSE pays an organisation to provide home care or inpatient services or whatever. Uh, that still isn't in place. The start of the process of putting that in place in 2017 and 18. it was supposed to be completed by 2022, and it's one of the first issues that I delved into as the chair of the Public Accounts Committee because it caught my eye. Mm. And, and, and what did you find the,
1: out? Why does it take so long? Because if it was a large multinational and some of them have staffing levels equivalent to the HSE, when there's money on the line, they act quickly.
5: And this, this, this is the problem. They, and this is why we're bringing them in so often. We're trying to monitor what's happening with it. But they, the, last, the last dealings we had with them on this, they said now that to will actually be twenty twenty four because of COVID. Okay. now we understand that COVID has held up matters. We understand that it has put a spanner in the works, uh, that it has caused huge problems and huge problems right across the health system, not just for the frontline staff, but also for the backroom staff uh, in terms of trying to, you know, change things and, you know, turn things around very, very quickly, sometimes in a matter of days or hours. But they're now saying 2024, before they will have an integrated financial system in place. And this is the key to it, Will. You know, we have a health system, and I've I've said this to you before, you know, we we have one of the highest spends in the OECD on health. In fact, yesterday, if I heard correctly... Sixth highest, uh, yeah. Yeah, the the fifth highest in in the OECD. And as far as I know, and I want to get this checked out, as far as I know, that doesn't include uh, the private health insurance that people have to take out, the out-of-pocket expenses. That doesn't cover everything. Uh, Countries that are spending less than us on health across Europe have a far better system, that will a walk-in free at the point of delivery service, Finland, all other countries like that. And we need to be modeling ourselves on the, some of those other countries and states, which are fairly similar in size to our to our state. You know, we need to build a national health system. And yeah, isn't a, there a political uh,
1: challenge here? And maybe you're getting a flavor of it now as chairman of the Public Accounts Committee, that even if Sinn Féin is in government on the next occasion you still have to face these civil servants who are uh, giving you this information now, giving you these reasons about COVID or whatever delaying matters till 2024. How do you cut through that?
5: Well, we'll, uh, the first thing you do is you ask them for progress reports, and that's why the HSC are back in, again, in a couple of weeks' time in front of us, because we've asked them to progress this, and we're we're monitoring this. What I would say to you is, and we need to make no bones about this, our health system, you know, we have great frontline staff, We have great frontline services uh, when you get in there, and we have staff who have done Trojan work. Let's be clear about that. But the system, as it's established, is uh, totally just... I would say it's more or less dysfunctional in many areas. Unfortunately, there are huge gaps in services, despite that huge amount of money that the taxpayer puts into it every year. And I have no argument with that. In fact, Sinn Féin would say it resources well. But what Sinn Féin is also saying is that we also need to get efficiencies... And you can't get efficiencies if the people who handle the money within the HSE are not doing that properly. If the proper systems isn't in place, it's like running in the house, Will. It's the person who controls the purse or the purse and the wallet, right, which is usually the case, both, right? If they're not handling things right and if, they're, if they are if haven't got proper monitoring of what's coming in and what's going out every week and is the business paid and what bills are coming up and what direct debits are there, if you're not watching all of that, the household runs into bother. But I'm sure listeners
1: will relate as well if they are in work in in any sort of managerial role. If they allow costs to get out of hand and the boss says you need to rein this in, you can produce your progress report time after time, but if you don't actually achieve, you're out the door. So would you fire these people if they don't deliver on the progress that you've asked? Uh,
5: What I would say to you, Will, is that everybody, everybody should be performance. There should be performance monitoring with everybody and what I would say to you as well is, is that we shouldn't make any bones about this to turn this health system around, I believe. And we believe to, to make any real major progress, which is about building a single-tier national health system, you're looking at it, it's at least a 10-year project. Yeah, But you're a
1: now, bit ambiguous on the performance management because ultimately if they don't drive it through, they can come in to you and give you a progress report. But if there isn't being progress made or at a decent pace, what, what will you do? How will you light a fire under them?
5: Well, a lot of of senior management now, Will, as you know, are on seven-year contracts. And, you know, seven years is seven years. So when the end of the seven-year comes, they need to be moved on if they're not performing. That's what it comes down to. You know, we need to be fair to people who are in management positions, but we also need to be fair to the public with their money. And the the public are are stumping up here. Uh, It's a very... It's obviously health is the most important thing, that in housing. Uh, We need to get it right. And also, Will, we need to look at systems in other countries. You know... Uh, people who came before us weren't afraid to look at educational systems. You know, Pierce looked at education systems across Europe before he sat down to write about education in this country over 100 years ago. You know, and we need, we shouldn't be afraid to look at other countries, uh, you know, that have better systems. Scotland has made huge improvements in their health system. They have diverged somewhat from the, from the NHS in England, uh, which is good but has flaws in it and does have its own problems. Every health system will have problems, Will. But what Scotland have looked at is, is they have looked at the frontline services, they've looked at where the gaps are, they've looked at where the money is going, and they've tried to, to uh, if you like, front load, front load the health system. What we seem to be desperate at in this country is, uh, senior management's, management will keep telling you about the change and what we are doing internally, but the gaps keep appearing in the services. And any TD or public representative will tell you that. And indeed, many of your listeners will tell you that as well. They'll see where the gaps are in the services. And, you know, in relation, I come back to the central point. If the people who are handling the cash are not doing their job right, and if the systems are not in place to ensure that that money is is going to where it needs to go, into frontline services, well, then you have a shortage of ICU beds. Then you don't have a proper dental service in Lee Shoffley. Then you don't have early assessment for autism you know, and so on, and so on, and so on. And, you know, elderly people can't get their history mm. in place. Yes. The time but but the, duty,
1: to the, the duty is on the people we elect to hold them to account, Absolutely. ultimately. Just, just a final point, sorry, but Kevin in uh, Errol has asked, with this case highlighted in the Irish Times, this individual claiming blind allowance in two locations, that's one instance that was caught. How will you make sure the HSE isn't more widely exploited in this way?
5: Well, obviously, the first thing needs to happen here is is that the different areas of the HSE, the C, you know, what's called the CHO areas. We're in CHO 8 in Leigh-Shawfly. That those areas between, we we'll said that CHO 8 and CHO 7 is actually linked up together. In other words, Will, your central point, that the left hand is talking to the right hand. That's a basic in any organisation. Uh, so obviously there needs to be an integrated computer system. But as I highlighted, the HSE does not even have an integrated financial management system yes, for procurement, et cetera. And That's we might not
1: problem. have that integrated system for a while. So in the meantime, will you order or, or, or demand a spot check? How will we establish the scope of this?
5: Well, obviously this has been shown up by an audit. So an audit has thrown it up, has thrown up this issue here in front of us. So what we will be asking for is the HSE to carry out other audits across the state to make sure that this isn't a widespread practice. It's important that we get this money to the people who need it, those people who are blind, who need this money to get about daily, uh, you know, to have extra costs. It's only 61 euros, 50 cents. It's important that they get it and keep getting it. But it's also important that, you know, that it's not going to people who shouldn't be getting it. It's a basic, but the HSE, people in the HSE, we need to take them out of their silos, uh, and people who are charged with putting the systems in place they need to ensure that they're being put in place uh, and it, it is an issue that I am going to raise with the HSE management, it's one that they need to step up to the plate on and sort out, uh, I know they have other difficulties at the moment with COVID and you know, hopefully we can make further progress with that over the coming weeks but while all that's happening we do need to get people who are handling the money uh, uh, talking to each other, that's the important thing, it's the basic a basic requirement uh, for society or any organisation to function is that people communicate with each other and systems communicate with each other. Didn't happen in this case. It needs to happen well.
1: Brian Stanley, thank you very much. He's the Sinn Féin TD in Lee Shoffley and also chairman of the Dáil Public Accounts Committee.
6: Hello, Santa Claus here. Will Faulkner is naughty, but Robbie is nice. With this guy, Brian, I'm rolling the dice. The one thing I'm sure of when it comes to this fellow is with DIY. He knows his ass from his elbow.
7: (laughs) Clunin!
6: Why was Robbie nice to you last week? Robbie's always nice to me. Actually, he complained I wasn't as nice to him as normal. But you know, you got you know, to see I mean, the real you then. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: what news have you this week, Clunan?
6: No, well, I was just thinking the way in. It's it's it, it's finally beginning to look a little bit like winter. So I did a quick. Uh, while I was sitting outside in the in the in the van, I did a quick checklist uh, on the sort of things we should be doing for the winter. Um, so, oh, no, he's going to describe manual labour. Go no, on. no, no, this is all quick and simple stuff. Um, so, as I say, it's so late. I mean, imagine it's almost December and the leaves aren't all off the trees yet. It that, That's... Uh, no, that's Incredible. Because it's
1: been so mild it's been for so, so long mild.
6: But the problem is You get kind of sucked into A false sense of security And you forget You know that In a month t- In two weeks time We could be down to You know the winter of 2010 Where we had minus Oh
1: you cheerful no, Charlie no, no I'm
6: just saying prepare for it Be prepared Anyway Quick checklist So first of all Make sure all your vents Are cleaned out Because it's amazing The dust that builds up in vents And obviously Air doesn't circulate through it well I would always say hoover your radiators. Do you ever clean out the back of the radiator? Never. It's unbelievable. So a garden blow is brilliant or else a hoover and a feather duster, a bamboo cane, something down there and a hoover. But the, if you if you know anybody with a garden blow you'll be horrified what comes out of your radiators. But, I have
1: one. I'm going to do that later yeah, just for curiosity.
6: It, it, it does take everything out which makes your radiator much more efficient. Hmm. You know, most radiators are convector-style radiators. That means the heat is blo- it's not blown up. It, it moves up. It's convected up from the fins inside the radiator. If they're full of, dust, full of dust, the whole thing falls apart. So, that's one thing to do. The other thing to do is... Sorry, ma- just with the vents? Yep. So you mean like your, your air your vent wall. up on the wall? Yeah, just, it's amazing. Hoover them. A brush, a soft brush and a hoover. It is incredible, the dust that can be on those, which again makes them a lot less effective, which I mean, obviously we know if you have any sort of a a fuel burning appliance, whether it's solid fuel or wood pellets, which is a solid fuel, or oil, or gas, you should always have a carbon monoxide alarm in that room. But, I mean, one of the things that can happen is vents can get blocked for various different reasons. Um, And a major build up of dust can block can drop the efficiency of your vent by forty, fifty percent. Like that's incredible. and that can create a problem for you. Um, obviously you should always get your chimney cleaned every year and um, check we've always mentioned check that your your guttering is not blocked because a blocked gutter will create a leak and a leak can be coming into your house over a long period of time without you noticing and then you know can cause structural problems and damp problems and all sorts of problems that can be much harder to rectify afterwards so do check your guttering obviously check windows and doors for drafts that should be done every year because things vary over time. Just have a look at your windows, particularly do it on a windy day, wait for a windy day, and just go around and feel, if the windows close, feel the whole way around. Is there quite a draft coming from a particular window? In which case, open the window, wash it, wash it with warm soapy water, close it again, and if that's not enough, maybe put on a draft excluder, or if it's really bad, get the window man to come and look at the hinges, because that's usually where the problem Ah, is. A lot
1: of our windows (laughs) at the moment, you can feel the draft... I'd say probably on five or six of them. So I'll try the washing. Mm-hmm. This, we're
6: talking about washing the rubbers around, are right? you? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of plump them back up again. Okay, they become quite stiff and they get pushed into shape that you don't want them to be in. So they, they become compressed. And if they become compressed, they stop being effective. So often washing with warm, soapy water um, can can actually fluff them back up for want of a better description and then just close the window gently and and leave it alone. And that can be enough to do it. But as I say, it can be the hinges. You may need to look at the hinge side of it and see what's happening over there. I'll have to call someone. (laughs) Um, What else are we saying? We're saying, look, check for, check, we always say it at this time of the year, but do it every, start of every winter, check for access for mice so things kind of changed. you could have some sort of bit of building working on something could have moved a pipe could, a vent could have moved just check that there's no easy access in for the mice if you had any work if your boiler is outside and you had any work done on it, just and look we always get people in, who say haven't had a mouse in the last five years and now i've invaded so something changed so, just have a look and see, has anything changed outside? Um, How high up the wall should you look? You'd be looking at, you're really looking at 10 feet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's amazing what they can do, what the, right. the way they can climb up. Yeah, it is I've incredible. always looked kind of ground
1: level as far as the yeah, windows Yeah,
6: no, out. I mean, it's a, like, see, they can go up. I, there's been cases of them going up behind the gutter, behind the downpipe. Uh-huh. So, you know the downpipe that comes down from the gutter. So, there's a space there, maybe half an inch or an inch. But if you can imagine, if you to try to climb the wall, you wouldn't be able to. But if you have this support at your back, that you have a slightly rough surface and a support at your back that you can push back against, then they can climb up there. So it is quite incredible. Um, always make sure, this is so important because we, we've we always had, not in recent years, because we haven't had the big frost, but we always get people who find they have frozen pipes or damaged pipes, And they don't know where the stopcock is. So they're looking at this water coming into the house, flowing uninhibited in the house somewhere. And they can't stop it because they don't know where the stopcock is. So we should all know where it is. And if we need a key to turn it off, have we got the key to turn it off? You're smiling. Do you know where your stopcock is? I do. Oh, do you? Good. (laughs) It involves jumping two fences. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah,
1: finding... uh yeah, it's in an unusual spot. Let's oh, leave it there. Okay. Well, you know where
6: it is and you can do it if you need to. Absolutely. I hope it's a warm day. <laughs> okay. Uh, we should all, at this time of the year, bleed our radiators. So most systems benefit from being bled when the, radiators, when the heating is on. And uh, what you're doing is just getting a radiator key, put a rag uh, between the wall and the radiator, turn it maybe one full turn and just listen to the air come out. And uh, it'll hiss and hiss and hiss. You'll be impatient if there's a big build-up. You'll be impatient. You might turn it two turns or three turns. Don't just one turn is enough because if you turn it too far, it'll come out, and then we're back to this flowing dirty water coming out. It's
8: more
1: like tar.
6: Like exactly, it's oily it's and stains it stains everything. Yes. Absolutely. Um, next one is make sure. By the way, is
1: that just from the inside of your radiator? Yeah.
6: So that went in clean? Oh, it went in clean. It came from the tank, in the, the little expansion tank in the attic and just from constantly flowing through a metal system. It's incredible, isn't it? It's just disgusting. Mm. Um, make sure you prepare for a power cut, you know, this year in particular, because people are saying there's a bigger chance of it. Don't know if that's been rectified yet. Um, check your oil tank regularly. So if you sorry, don't when have... Sorry, I, I
1: don't mean to cut you off. When you say prepare for
6: a power cut... Sorry, in other words, you know, make sure that you have some way of cooking. Some way of keeping warm, you know, if, if everything in the house, which happens now much more so than so, if you're air to water and if you're but everything like your central heating needs needs people say, Oh, I have solid fuel, but I mean, solid fuel will, will, will heat the kitchen because your range is in the kitchen, but everything else stops working because if you don't have power, your central heating isn't working. So just have and see if if I was without power for a sustained period of time, can I cook? Have I light? You know, have I, have I, have I, have I things in place that leaves me happy for a day or two if I needed to? That's it. Just consider what would I do if I had no power? And um, you know, maybe keep a couple of battery packs. What would you struggle with most? I know exactly what you would struggle with most. Everything. No. Well, you struggle with everything. It's true. You would struggle with not having access if your phone power went down and you you know you couldn't spend seven hours a, a day on social media you'd go up the walls I think the cold bedroom the lack of food the lack of a shower a lot of
1: people would suffer more with the lack of the shower because they'd yeah, have to you smell shower me once a week. Yeah, yeah they'd have to smell me but most of all yeah. make sure you have batteries for your radio
6: <laughs> yes Good man Will Yeah Always the priorities I'll add that to my list If, Duke, and, if Duke, I'm doing yeah, this list yeah, next yeah. year uh, Check your oil tank regularly um, You can get these Oil watchman That if, that'll let you know But just do a checklist And check it regularly And last of all Check your home security Because the winter is At the time That we tend to have more break-ins
1: Unfortunately
6: Okay Very helpful list
1: And we shall get to your queries Next
0: Mr. Fixes on Midlands One Eight Three with Brian Cleanin. Call us on and put our toolman to the test.
1: Melissa is asking why we're all being so scroogey this year. Why has nobody decorated their house yet? You know, I think she has a point. I haven't yeah. seen too many homes decorated. Have you?
6: No, it, it has been a very late start, and I'm, I'm not quite sure why. Whether. It's the late winter. It doesn't feel wintry, and we tend to do these things when it gets wintry. Mm. Although we should have done it earlier when it was easier to do outside in the finer weather. Whether it's is it because of I maybe COVID times, people feel it's a bit frivolous. I I'd, I'd obviously I'd feel the, the opposite. I think we should be trying to cheer us mm. all up as much as possible.
1: Well, you sell yeah. Christmas trees, decorations, which is a reason, and so on. This air- the reason
6: I would feel like that as well, obviously. Uh, but I genuinely yeah. feel
1: it. No, but my my question is: Are you seeing the same demand as previous years? No, or is it's, it at it's a different it's time. A, it's,
6: a, it's a later start. Ah. it's a later start for what? But it has started. It has kicked off big time in the last week. But that's later than normal. But look, it, the, the toy shows now at the weekend. That's up and up up and running. Um, by the way, I've just gotten a text. It's, I don't know, it's a non-assigned desperate housewife. Bloody anonymous, I know who that is, go on. I've answered this, but maybe you or maybe the listeners would have an answer. So, if if I just, it's a short letter. Dear Brian, I hope you can help. You see, my husband is creating chaos every morning as he gets ready to go to work. Now, he knows his work starts at the same time every morning, yet every single morning is a mad rush. Once again, we had the Keys drama. So, once again... It was looking like I would be left with no way to school as my husband was about to take my car as he couldn't find his keys, his car keys, again. So can you or the listeners think of any way to get my husband to A, put his bloody keys in the same place every night and B, get up a few minutes earlier so I don't age an extra 10 years every morning looking for his keys. P.S. I'd need to win the lotto to pay my debts to St. Anthony at this stage signed and desperate housewife. Well, I think... Eddie, I, have you any words of wisdom? Maybe our listeners I, have words of I, wisdom. Parks, I, what would you think, Well, What actually,
1: would you do? I what do. would you do in that situation? What I would do is put my keys where the bank card is because she's always able to find that.
6: <laughs> I was thinking afterwards, yeah, that if you could get your car keys to work off a chip, and put the chip in your wallet, because you're so tight, I would imagine you never let your wallet out of your, out of your sight. Here's the thing,
1: and before anybody sends in the message helpfully, there is a device, and I have it for the house keys, and it links to your phone, yes. and you find it, Yes. but I never have the car key attached.
6: <laughs> Why? You I don't a, know! You can get a four-pack. I forget the brand, but you can get oh, a four-pack. I just attach the car key, get it done. Can we move on? Please. You haven't any suggestions, no?
1: No, I don't. All right, okay. She's not happy she can get a divorce. How's that?
6: (laughs) Sorry, that was anonymous from a desperate housewife. I know. That's what I'm suggesting to her. All right, okay. Anonymously. Now, a a listener
1: had to take the paint off the wall outside their house, uh, all the way down to the bare stone. So they're wondering what should they put on the wall before painting with masonry paint.
6: Well, you're gonna find it hard to paint with masonry paint now. Uh, so there's two things that masonry paint don't like. They don't like rain and they don't like frost. So it's hard to get weather conditions at this, just now from now on to get that right. Now I would be saying in the normal way, uh, I would say just thin out your first coat of paint really well and let it into the concrete, into the plaster or whatever it is. Um, I would just question why they had to take off the paint. So if there was a problem with the paint in the past I would say it's worth putting on a stabilizing primer, which is a really thin liquid that just helps to get a grip on the surface that you're painting. You still thin out your first coat of paint. That's vital. We do find sometimes people would come into us where paint has flaked off and it flaked off purely because the paint wasn't thinned out. So it went on the surface too thick, so it didn't soak into the wall and therefore get a proper grip. But if, if there was a reason for that paint flaking off or coming off or being taken off in the first place, for the sake of the cost involved, a primer, a stabilising primer or a primer would, would would be helpful. We had
1: mentioned Christmas trees, decorations, the yes. lack thereof so far this year. And actually quite a lot of people are saying it's down to energy prices. They just don't right. want
6: the bill to be too big this year. I uh, know there's no bill. Well, sorry, with the best will in the world, that that certainly was a factor. Uh, for years I mean your your electric light, Christmas lighting would add to your household bill but nowadays all lights are LED I mean you could run you could run a set of 2000 Now that's a lot of LEDs you could run a set of 2000 lights from now never turn them off between now and Christmas and it wouldn't cost you a euro
1: yeah but not everybody can afford to buy LEDs at your prices but
6: the- <laughs> LED, all lights are LED there's very few people have the old lights anymore so I would say every like for the last 10 years it's all LED lights so all lights tend to be LED now
1: maybe we still have that hang up then if you have yeah. them on it yeah.
6: feels frivolous it feels like you're wasting electricity at a precious time when yeah. the grid yeah. is so it's starved like, I'm, I'm so conditioned to that I mean I've, if I have to ring this is how every now and again it will. It, I've, I'm using my mobile which is our preset plan. And yet, if I'm going to ring Dublin, I nearly think, you know, like I remember years ago, like ringing Dublin, you're, you're much younger than me, but like ringing Dublin was a big deal from the landline. And I remember my father, if he'd place, so this is before faxes and emails and there was a paint company. We'd have to paint a long order. Now, I mean, you'd be on the phone for five minutes and my father would ring and then he'd be, you know, a minute into the call, and he'd say, Oh, something after happened here, ring me back. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Never, so man. That the Crown Paints would ring him rather than spend another five minutes on the phone giving the order. Like giving a landline, a, lo- a yeah, long distance yeah. landline call was a big, big deal. Well, I remember when
1: uh, a friend of mine would be free, and, and I'd be free for him to come up to my house or the other way around. We'd let the phone ring once. Yes rather than paying for the call, just one ring. That's right. And if you responded with one ring, you were coming. If you responded with two rings, sorry, I'm busy.
6: It was a bit like Morse code. Yeah. The other thing that that last year, well, we haven't this year, but we had a Christmas decoration that it was the old-fashioned Irish telephone box but it had, you don't remember it, the push button A, push button B. It has the push button A, push button B. You, you should see Will's face. He's no idea what they're talking about. But the list, many of the listeners do. It's a push button A, push button B telephone inside an old-fashioned Irish telecom, tele, telecom telephone box. But, and it's all snow effect and whatever. But the number of stories it prompted from people, people remembering in Tullamore, there was a telephone box outside the Garda station and a coin got stuck in it sometime around Christmas. And they queued like 30, 40 people long down into Marion Place to ring relative. You could, ring, you could now use the phone box free. Oh, wow. And they queued down, I mean, way outside the Garda station. To ring Australia, the relatives in Australia and America, because, I mean, if you were to go to ring from your house line, if you were going to ring uh, somebody to wish them happy Christmas like that, you'd be ringing up and saying, how are things? Happy Christmas. Bye. And hang up again because it was horrendous to think of a a, a transatlantic phone call. Something like that happened in Newbridge
1: in Ballymany one time. And a friend of mine, his girlfriend had just moved to Singapore. Uh, father was training for six months out there, and it was just so opportune. It lasted for weeks. Yeah, yeah. And we were so disappointed, obviously, when it ended. We have to take a quick break and All right. allegedly discuss DIY. <laughs> Question about carbon monoxide alarms: yeah. Should you have one upstairs and downstairs?
6: Well, it's really in in the room with the appliance. That's that's really it. Whether it's a a, a boiler, a range, a stove, a pellet burner, a gas boiler, whatever it is. Okay,
1: with that in mind they have solid fuel downstairs gas heating
6: upstairs Yeah, but where's the gas boiler? So the, the, the radiators are upstairs you know, the, the radiators are heated by the gas boiler, but where is the gas boiler? You know, if the boiler, gas boiler is out in a boiler house if it's on the outside wall then that's okay, but if it's inside in the house, you need to have it then, in that, yeah. in that area Or do they mean, I don't know how old these are <laughs> Remember you had these big gas
1: heaters. You'd put a cylinder into them, attach it and light it at the front. Yeah, like a
6: Superstar. Yes. Yeah, I, I, if that's what you mean, yes, you should have it. Now, in fairness, all the modern gas heaters, uh, the likes of the Superstar, has a built-in carbon monoxide cutout. OK, so we would have had it where somebody would use it in a very confined area. Say um, when they first come in, say a caravan. Say you're using a gas heater in a caravan or or a mobile home, or something like that. Um, we would get somebody who would buy one, and they'd come back and say, now we didn't realise at the time at what the problem was, it keeps cutting out of me. I use it for two hours, and then it cuts out and it won't work. That was the built-in carbon monoxide alarm saying, the carbon monoxide levels have risen, therefore it, this is going to cut itself out. So you don't, look, any, any gas appliance, wherever the flame is, that's the, the rule of thumb is, where's the flame? If the flame is outside, you don't need the carbon monoxide alarm. If the flame is inside, in that area, that's where you need to put the carbon monoxide alarm.
1: Ina, back to the radiators. Yes. And bleeding them. Yes. She subscribes to your advice, only twist once. Well. Because she twisted more often. It ended up flowing all over the place. Oh no. The oily water inside. And luckily, Midlands 103 was running a competition about disasters in the home, which she won. On account of her story. <laughs> wow. So, not everybody can win the prize. There is a question here from somebody else. How
6: often should you flush out your radiators and why? Oh, it's a big job. Um, it's a big job that needs a plumber. It's, well, it's it's a dirty job. It's look. We all know how hard it is to get plumbers. I was about to say, what is a plumber? What's this, a plumber? this yeah. species we yeah. haven't seen a in mythical, a long time. Yes. The plumber is a mythical being that seemingly exists, but is as elusive as a leprechaun. But uh, the build-up of sludge and dirt in a radiator is absolutely incredible. And you're like, if if you have an old radiator system, you could at the bottom of each radiator, you could have six inches of sludge that obviously dramatically affects the, the, the effectiveness of your central heating system. So it is something you should get done every few years. Uh, well, I would say probably every 10 years, but I, probably five years is what they recommend. I don't know. OK, so
1: wait until the next building recession.
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> They happen about every nine years, cyclically yeah, that, recessions. Yeah,
6: that's, draw up a list of things for your plumber to do when the recession kicks, kicks back in.
1: Okay, Hilda says the easy part is getting your husband up in the morning because you simply get the dog and throw a bone on the bed at the appropriate time. Dog will make sure husband rises quickly.
6: Mm. There you go. Mm. All right, another. You could play. You could play your husband's your husband's own voice uh, in the bedroom uh, on the radio, and then he would get up. If we knew who the husband was, of course. Indeed. Maureen in Mount Melek says she doesn't put up a Christmas tree
1: or decorations of any kind. When you put them up, you have to take them down.
6: And I don't need that kind of stress. Ah, Maureen. <laughs> ah, Maureen. <laughs> I always say, even if, even, look, if it's such a dark October, November, December, January, February. It's such a dark time. The bright lights, the presents, the whole, the whole hoopla of Christmas is a great distraction for us all at what is really a dark time.
1: Marian Tullamore agrees it's impossible to get a bloody tradesman these days. They keep giving her appointments and then they don't turn up. Yes, yeah. indeed. Back to the old days. It's a person.: uh, Margaret in Mullingar says her boiler, oil boiler, isn't working properly. The smoke has blackened the wall above it. How can I remove this stain? Is it a stain? How would you describe it's
6: it? It's a stain. It's a carbon deposit. Uh, so you use oven cleaner. So be careful, all, all oven cleaners are caustic, but you basically put on the oven cleaner. I would say get the paste type, don't get a spray type, get the one that comes in a bottle that you could a gel type that you brush on. So I would brush it on, leave it for about an hour and then scrub and wash it off. Watch your eyes in particular with the scrubbing, where it loves, watch your, watch your hands and face.
1: Brian, enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thanks, Will. We'll see you again next Wednesday, 20 past 10. Good morning. Now, fabulous stories about unusual ways of getting to school after that student in County Offaly, when the car wouldn't start in the frost, got on board the tractor and, well, he had to park there for the whole day. Uh, One listener in Mullingar tells me there was a lad going to the tech for four years used to drive his tractor. Mick, when you were in school, you worked weekends, and in four years, you bought your second motorbike for £500. Insurance was £130. It was £6 for petrol and you were a happy lad. Should have lessons and good driving skills imparted in schools, so you say. We'll be back to that, actually. What is the most unusual way you got to school? Also, lots of great comments on Bordemona horticulture, the fact we're importing peat. Over thousands of kilometres, 200 trucks involved in each boatload, when we have Pete on our doorstep, and which is really the environmental benefit. But first, the dispute in Dublin, the cost of fuel at the pump, particularly if you are a haulier and you are driving for business... There is much disruption in the capital today as a result of a group of truckers and hauliers leading their convoys through all the main motorway arteries into the city. Casey O'Reardon is our reporter at The Process. Uh, Katie, good morning.
4: Good morning, Mel.
1: Give us a sense of what's going on there at the moment.
4: Well, the, the chaos seems to have calmed down a bit. When I arrived here, there was just constant horn beeping from Dozens of trucks, and it was very overwhelming and loud. But now I think they're almost a bit eerie. I'm just standing on Marion Square in the middle of the road, surrounded by maybe 50 different, uh, quite 50 different trucks. And the rain's coming down, and it's kind of eerie and quiet. And people are kind of sitting in their cabs and, you know, retreating in there. Um, but they're they're still here, and they don't appear to be moving anytime soon.
1: Now, it's worth clarifying who is behind the protest because the Irish Road Haulage Association, which is the representative group for the industry, says it's really nothing to do with them.
4: Yeah, it's it's not official in that sense. I suppose it's, it's mostly independent truckers that own their own companies that are just kind of feel that the government aren't doing anything to help them. I've been speaking to... And a number of different ones today I actually went out and met a few out at one of the service stations before they set off on their journey into town. You know, one one man I spoke to, a guy called Mark Sheehan, owns a company, a small a haulage company, a hundred employees, and he said to me that his fuel bill, his diesel bill, has gone up by €20,000 a month. Uh, another haulier I'm speaking to here was telling me that his company, his bill last year, Per week would have been three and a half thousand euro for fuel, and now it's five and a half thousand euro. So you can see why they're they're struggling and why they're angry.
1: And have they a clear demand? What is it they're looking for?
4: So the clear demand, I suppose, is they're, they're not unrealistic in it, assuming there is like massive action today. They really want a dialogue to open between government. But ultimately, what they want is maybe a better rebate. At the moment, what I'm told is their rebate might be six or seven cent a litre or something like that, whereas what they kind of more would like is to be around 25, 26 cents, so they kind of want to see an increase in the money they get back on the fuel that they spent.
1: Now, if they were the Irish Road Haulage Association, they have a nominated president and somebody government could deal with if they were inclined to do so, but how would this group propose to negotiate?
4: Yeah, that's a good question and I think I, I know there is a lot of disappointment among the people that are here today that the Hawley Association didn't come on board with them and that's something one of the Hallier, uh who owns his own company said to me that you know I, I pay a membership fee into the Hawley Association so I'm disappointed that they're not supporting us in the, in that matter but I suppose what they would like to see they would have liked to see maybe Eamon Ryan, the transport minister, or maybe Charlie McConnell Oak come down and speak to them, you know, on the front line here. There, there is kind of a number of different routes into the doll that they have blocked. So Marion Square here, I was on Dawson Street earlier, that's all blocked off. So they would have liked to see a minister come down and, you know, hear them, hear their concerns and open that dialogue. But I understand what you're saying when you haven't got, you know, a clear head organisation spearheading heading it. It is a bit of a it's a complicated thing to negotiate.
1: Have any opposition politicians showed up?
4: Oh, just actually, Danny Healy Ray, just as you as your sister called me, had just arrived on the on the scene. All right, yeah. So I'm looking forward to maybe having a quick chat with him and seeing he's come out to support the truckers here.
1: We won't detain you much longer. It's now ten past eleven, so traffic will have abated. It'll get busier at lunchtime. How long do they intend to remain in the city?
4: You know, a a clear organisation. Nobody's in charge, so it's kind of individuals. Like they kind of have said, we'll stay hours as long as it takes. But they basically have said that if they don't achieve anything today, if they don't feel like that dialogue has opened, that they will come back. They'll come back. You know, weekly, daily, before Christmas, they will and make it bigger and better. Similar to the kind of. I don't want to say threat, but similar to the the, the promises that we saw with the farmers' protest, with if they felt that they hadn't achieved something, they said it'd come back before Christmas, you know, on the busiest day of the year, the 8th of December. That's kind of the same, same, uh, you know, conversation we're having here down at the protest.
1: Just finally, it's always hard to qualify uh, public support. What sort of reaction did you feel they received from regular motorist members of the public?
4: Well, I think people can understand because what they're saying here as well is there, there, was, a, there was a Hollier here that sort of gave a speech to a, 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 you know, a gathered crowd and he said, you know, we're doing this not just for ourselves. This, this cost of fuel affects everyone. It affects parents. It affects, you know, people just trying to heat their homes, get their kids to school and, and they want to see a reduction for everyone. So I think yeah, but they're asking
1: for a rebate just for themselves.
4: Well, they're looking—they're looking for a wider, you know, kind of package to 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 to, I suppose, address the, you know, the fuel crisis. Um, the rebate thing is just something specifically, I suppose, that would apply to them. But they are talking about the, you know, the fuel at the pumps is is mad, and you know that people are being charged, and that affects everyone. The fuel to heat your home—they want the government to step step in in a big way here. So, I can see how people would buy into that concept, but it does obviously upset people when they can't get in and out to, you know their jobs or they're mad late for appointments and hospital appointments is something that was brought up and, and people are, you know, worried about missing things and missing vaccine appointments. So I think there's always a certain amount of goodwill with these things, but people's patients will not then.
1: Casey, thanks for helping us see the picture. We'll talk again.
4: Thanks, well.
1: Casey O'Reardon, our reporter at the protest in Dublin. Now, I suppose it could be argued, as one person already has text, that what a haulier pays ultimately is passed on to the end customer to get the product on the shelf that you want to buy. If the haulier has greater fuel bills, tolls, whatever the costs are, you do package that into the overall price. So if they can get a deal you would hope they'll pass it on.
0: It's time to check out the range of suits for graduations, weddings and formal wear up to size 64 at Guy Clothing High Street Tullamore. The leading clothing destination for every man. Follow Guy Clothing Tullamore on social media.
1: Some other messages on that subject. Robert says the truck drivers are actually looking for the government to take less tax on fuel, thus dropping the price for everybody, not just themselves. And another listener points out that 60% of the price you pay at the pump is tax in one form or another. Now, some other messages we had talked earlier about the horticultural industry, which because Irish supplies of peat have now dwindled, they have to import peat from the Baltic countries, even from the UK and from Canada. And a listener says, well, the stockpiles for the briquette factory in Derren Lock will run out in early 2022. We had been promised 2025. We'll talk to Bordemona and see if they're willing to make a statement on that and perhaps explain what their plan is to source possibly peat from elsewhere or maybe if that bill goes through the Shannon they won't have to do that they'll be able to harvest it here. Um, well I would like to know if there is a charity shop in the Athlone area prepared to take good second hand furniture. This is Julianne in Glassen, who has tried a number of shops around the Midlands some are full some haven't gotten back to her so if you're listening in a charity shop, or you know of a charity shop, where they would be happy to take second-hand furniture, please let me know and we'll pass it on to Julianne. Now, still on the menu this morning. How you got to school, have you an unusual story, after a student in County Offaly managed to take the tractor yesterday when the car wouldn't start. On the subject of cars and public transport... The Connecting Ireland Rural Mobility Plan proposes to create bus options where currently there are none. How close will the nearest route to you be? And will it be frequent enough? How much will it cost? Because you have a chance to have your say. Fergus MacDonald, regarding the Bordnemona, Just Transition, Horticulture topic, he says... Will the whole Just Transition programme, as it relates to reskilling board Pneumonia employees and creating opportunity for the Midlands, is a complete scam and a total mockery of transitioning? The vast majority of Kieran Mulvey's projects have nothing to do with just transitioning. Thank you, Fergus. On that subject as well, Angela says Kevin Mahan. This is the spokesperson for Growing Media Ireland. He was well-reasoned, well-articulated, no waffle. Why don't we have more people like him in government? The Pete problem arose in 2019. Why did our elected representatives not deal with it before now? We always seem to have to wait until the horse bolts before we act. Forward planning is not something we do in government, and if businesses did this, they would be bankrupt. The reason... Why Irish ministers brag about Ireland when they're abroad is due to our business owners, managers and employees and nothing to do with their own ability. Thank you, Angela. And Dolores believes it's now time that we had a vote on whether to remain in Europe. This peat issue being just one example, the closure of our power plants bringing briquettes from Germany. Again, is that the fault of the European Union or is it just how we choose to interpret the rules here? You could argue the sugar beet industry would be another example where we got it wrong. Can you blame Europe for that or do we look at home and wag the finger? Now, public transport. How close would your nearest bus be if for some reason in the morning you didn't have access to a car, you had to go to work, you had to go to an appointment? How would you get there? Because a new government plan aims to create more services, but will they be in your area? Or at what distance will they be? How expensive shall they be? How often will they run? 25 past 11 on Wednesday morning, still on the agenda today. The Westby scientist who thinks he's Bruce Willis. He is going to crash a spacecraft into an asteroid. And I kid you not. First, though, Ballinacargi, Multifarnham, Castletowngegan, Clonnesley, Kennedy, Shannon Bridge, Belmont, Clombalogue, Brackna. What do all of these areas have in common? Well, it's proposed they will receive new public transport options under the Connecting Ireland Rural Mobility Plan. Now, it's hard to describe in words if you go to the Uh, website of the National Transport Authority you'll see maps of whichever county you live in the routes that are there at the moment and the new ones that will be added and then you can have your say in a number of areas let's flesh this out with Marion Wilson she's head of transport services with the National Transport Authority good morning Marion
7: hi good morning Will
1: what sort of feedback are you looking for what input can the public have
7: Yeah. um, Well, basically, uh, just to put it in context, it's a plan to improve public transport for people living in rural Ireland and in towns outside of the major cities. So we have put down our first uh, proposals. In a suite of documents that are on our website, people are able to look at those documents as you've described them, the existing public transport services in in maps by county within the website, and then look at the proposals. Now, those are draft proposals. Those are where we think, following um, some studies that we've done, that there are deficits in the transport that is available to people um, uh, in terms of coverage, in terms of uh, temporal coverage. So, for example, maybe inadequate timetabling, people don't get the proper durations in towns and centres to do their jobs or to do a day's work or, or obtain a day's education. So, you know, we're looking at the timetabling, we're looking at the interpeak level of service, giving people a little bit more choice, weekend services, some evening services, that type of thing, depending on the demand that we've identified. Um, and we're asking people to look at those proposals and do the survey and give us their thoughts on whether or not we've missed some opportunities, whether we should you know, be careful in timings at certain times of the day or whatever, um, and just put down their thoughts, really, uh, through the survey channels, and we'll have a look at those, adapt our plans, and then over a period of five years, we will be rolling out service improvements we can't do the whole country simultaneously in one package so we're we're tranching it into implementation uh, plans over 5 years
1: i'm looking and at your survey at the our moment 2022 and
7: 2022 funding from the department of transport in order to do the first tranche of that mm. activity in 2022
1: one of the questions your survey asks is what do you think could improve your current public transport service you talk about stops or stations being closer to where mm. you live now, with the greatest of respect, with a large county, um, even, for instance, take Leash, not a particularly big county, but you have large swathes where you can't connect every highway and byway. Um, there wouldn't be a stop between Ballyroan and and Bally heading east to west. So yeah. how feasible is it that if somebody says, yes, I'd like stops closer to me, that you'll actually be able to deliver those?
7: Well, uh It's a point. It's a good point. I mean, the road authority is the local authority in Leash County Council, and obviously the ability to stop and serve passengers, process passengers on the side of the road is something that the road authority would have an opinion on. But we would be looking to improve the the number of stops and looking to um, make sure that those are professionally equipped with um, uh, proper poles and proper hard standings for people to stand on so that they're safe. on the the road as they're waiting for the service so that they have some information, some shelter. That's a separate uh, program within the authority, but we are looking to address all of those issues. But in terms of uh, the ability to perhaps reach everybody um, within walking distance of a public transport stop, you're right. And so that's why part of our program is to examine the possibility to do not what we call non-conventional transport services to reach the people who are extremely isolated. Um, and won't be able to get on to L or N level roads or or R roads in order to access bus services that work to fixed routes and fixed timetables. So we're looking to improve what we call the demand-responsive transport services, the community car offers, um, those kind of um, services where maybe we can reach uh, people that are a little bit more isolated um, and, and, and get those involved as well.
1: I'll take my own area as an example. So Clombalogue would be one of the villages where a route may be introduced. It would connect either to Port Arlington where there's a rail service to Tullamore or to Edenderry where there's an existing bus service to Tullamore. Mm -hmm. If I was coming to work here, for instance, I'd have to set out reasonably early. So who are these services aimed at? Is it the commuter? Or is it, say, somebody who's a bit more flexibility around maybe hospital appointments or, or so on?
7: Yeah, well, the, the services are aimed at, at... We will try to address as many needs as we, as we can. Um, obviously, we're not going to get everybody. The, the issue here is to try and reduce uh, the, the, the very high levels of car dependency that apply right throughout society in terms of travel. So, you know, in excess of 70% of all travel that's done right across the country, all markets, all areas is, is uh, 70%. So, it, uh, is, uh, sorry, is done by car. So, you know, we're, what we're trying to do is make inroads into that. Um, so it, it's, it's unlikely that we're going to as it were, with with some of our offers, tick everybody's box in terms of what they might need. But in general, what we're looking to do is connect people into the public transport network at, say, their nearest local town, and then offer enough frequency of service that people are able to make onward travel connections depending on how far they want to go. And we just want to make sure that those... Um, connections are made in terms of the way that we timetable so that people can feed onwards into intercity buses or intercity rail uh, uh, if that option exists and and that those connections will actually work. So
1: So if you you get a lot of feedback in your survey that says if you get a lot of feedback in the survey that says there's a demand in such an area at such a time, is that what will inform your timetable?
7: Yes, exactly that, yeah. And and I mean, you know, um, it, it very much depends on the instance that they're talking about. Let's say if it's for um, access to hospital services or something like that. You can imply from the, the size of the hospital that that's going to be, you know, a, a pretty decent regular flow of people that will be wanting to get in and out of that. And you'll make sure that, you know, that, that you get people in in times for first clinics, for outpatient clinics. So it's very much based on liaison with the um, with the agencies that deliver the services as well so that we can understand what they're Um, organisational methods are and we can make sure that we can coordinate with those and feed people into them Back to that question
1: about what people think would improve their current transport service again stops close to where they live more frequent services more places served better connections if they could take a bike or scooter better information about the services in their area more punctual services if they can get on and off the vehicle more easily why don't you ask about price?
7: Um Perhaps we should have, um, but we have done market research in the past um, that shows that of all the considerations that people value about public transport use, um, price isn't as high um, as you'd think, and we do have... um, you know, we do have very good uh, pricing strategies in the sense that in the cities that where we have the LEAP ticket um, av- available, there's, you know, good healthy discounts for people to use LEAP uh, on the basic um, standard adults or child fare. And we plan to um, make sure that LEAP is rolled out um, increasingly, over the um, services that we have in, um, you know, outside of the cities, like in 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 the rural areas and in the larger towns. So, but it, but but it, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, but I I understand that price is a consideration, but you wouldn't, it's not as high up in the in the pecking order as um, some people would Im- imply.
1: Well, there is an option to fill in another box there. So I suppose if price is a factor for people, they can name yeah. it.
7: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you
1: want so, to get a good, um, a good number it, of, of it, it uh, a, surveys completed. It is a very useful way
7: of finding out what what people's trade offs are, you know, and, and what people value. And so we will pay, be be able to pay when we get the feedback and uh, and anal- analyze that. We'll be able to make sure that we. Uh, you know, ensure that our designs meet what what people actually think is is important about um, public transport use.
1: You want to get a good number of surveys completed. You've set a deadline of the 10th of December, so about three weeks thereabouts to get it done. Yeah. What's the best way to fill it out? um,
7: We've had about 2,000 responses thus far. It's it's not huge, but it's still um, very valuable and we're expectant that, you know, that's going to rise, I suppose, stimulated a little bit by, you know, going on programmes such as yours and just reminding people um, to get in there and have a look and give their opinion to us. And, you know, we very much value getting that.
1: Um, Nationaltransport.ie. Yes.
7: It's on www.nationaltransportalloneword.ie. There's a button within that that's labelled um, Connecting Ireland. It's very easy to navigate. You'll be able to see the interactive map that comes up. You'll be able to select, click on your county or click on any county that interests you, and you can see all the material in terms of the map with the existing network, the proposed network, and also there's a very useful table that sets out exactly what the... um, Uh, routes and services are that we're proposing and also shows you the residual routes and services that are not in the first wave of consideration, but we will be closely monitoring those to see whether or not they need attention as the programme rolls out.
1: Marion, grateful for your time. Thank you for taking the call. Marion Wilson is Head of Service Planning with the National Transport Authority. Now, Again, you can go on and see the maps for your own area. It's, it's better than actually the way they've listed some specific ones. Um, but if you find where you live, it'll tell you the route number that's nearby and then you can reference back and see where it goes. On the surface, it looks like an unusual one here. Mullingar to Port Lege. Why would you want to go to Mullingar from Mullingar to Port Liege? There isn't necessarily a, a reason. Um, but, in fact, it links Kinnegad Edenderry, Port Arlington, Mount Melek, various other places along the route. So, it's only when you see it on paper that it begins to make sense. So, next. Do you remember Bruce Willis in Armageddon? Along with Ben Affleck and the Merry Men, they launched into space, ignited... Well, I don't want to give it a whole spoiler, but basically they prevented Armageddon from happening. So, a real-life attempt is going to be made by NASA... Not involving Bruce Willis, but involving a scientist from County Westmeath, whom you shall meet next. On one of the many times Bruce Willis saved the day, he blew up an asteroid that was going to smack into the planet and cause Armageddon. Now, NASA wants to see if we really could deflect a doomsday object hurtling towards us from the great beyond. Let's learn more. Lawrence O'Rourke is Science Operations Coordinator with the European Space Agency. He was once the cleverest boy in Caloocan in County Westmeath. Good morning, Lawrence.
8: Good morning. How are you? Thanks for having me.
1: Before we get into uh, digging bunkers in our back garden, can you give us some context? How likely is this scenario to unfold?
8: I mean, the chance of... Uh, well, it's, it's very unlikely. In fact, um, but 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 there still exists a chance. Even if it's 0.0001%, it's still... Uh, this, there's always a chance and, and so you need to be prepared and that's what uh, this mission is all about, is trying to uh, look at how we should be prepared in such a scenario. I mean the reality is that um, the, the, between Mars and Jupiter you have what's called the asteroid belt which has many millions of these objects but what pe- many people don't realise is that <clears throat> excuse me, close to the earth there's about uh, 20,000 asteroids which come very close to the earth every year or during the, the years and, um, and what we're trying to do really here is just to uh, prepare for the possibility that there's one asteroid out there which, sometime in the future, whether it's hundreds of years from now, but uh, is, is come our direction, and, and try to investigate how to uh, to prevent it. And Bruce Willis won't be around at that time. He anyway. won't.
1: No, <laughs> nor will the rest of us. But anyway, the safety net around the planet is the atmosphere. It will, uh, through friction, cause many of these objects to burn up, and we'll never know about them. So, how large would it have to be, to make a disastrous impact?
8: I mean, the you know. It, People always think about the dinosaurs. I mean, the, the the size of the the asteroid that hit hit the dinosaurs and collided was about 10 kilometres, which is is pretty big. While one more, one that's going to be hit here by the NASA satellite is, is about 160 metres. So really, there's a huge difference in size. But you don't need a, a large object. I mean, even with with something like about 150 metres or so, even the 160 metres of this this small asteroid that we're going to hit is sufficient to. Uh, to, uh, if it hit dublin well it certainly would annihilate dublin, so it 's efficient to to create a, a significant impact on, on the surface
1: and with all of the eyes watching the sky, how much warning might we get
8: I mean in general what we 're trying to do with the in, in these in these times i mean the the ground based observations which we have with lots of telescopes we're trying to put together a catalogue of all the objects that were that are out there and, and even this twenty thousand that I mentioned would would only make up about 20% or up, okay, let's say 40% of the objects we know that are, are close to the Earth. And there are some, uh, and it happens on on a well at least once a month where you find objects which fly by the Earth, which um, are even below the the these, um, GPS satellites, which uh, which weren't seen, wasn't seen before because it was quite small. But uh, and, uh, you know, just flies by and then you only see it afterwards. And so what we're trying to do is trying to do this catalogue, trying to get uh, to go from 40% to 100%, and. Uh, still there's always um it depends on the size and and uh, you know the the uh, you can only see a certain size from from the from from the ground and so we're always going to be limited by the the resolution of, of what we can actually see from from the ground
1: well when it comes to responding then practice will make perfect so let's talk about dimorphos
8: yeah so uh, so this this nasa mission which launched this morning i uh, call dart it's called double asteroid redirection test uh, satellite it's a uh, a satellite which launched, it'll travel for about, well, until, uh, well, pretty much 10 months or so. It's going to arrive at the end of September next year, and it's going to arrive to uh, what's called a binary asteroid. Now, there's about, of all the asteroids that are out there, I talked about, there's millions there between Mars and Jupiter. I mean, about 15% of them have moons. So basically, it's, uh, it's called a binary asteroid. It has two, two asteroids floating around each other. And in this case, it's going to travel to one which is called uh, Didymus. is the, the bigger one, the 780 metres, and it has a uh, little satellite, little moon around us, which is about uh, 160 meters in size, and so the idea is to uh, to uh, arrive to that, and uh, it'll be travelling pretty fast. I mean, because the asteroid itself are, are travelling about 23 kilometers per second, which is pretty pretty fast. I mean, if you imagine, if you want to escape the gravity, if you get in a rocket and you want to escape the gravity of the Earth, you have got to travel about 9.8 meters per second, but in this case, I mean, you're travelling 23. Um, 23 uh, kilometers per second, and so it's it's going to hit there with uh, with uh, about six kilometer per second impact and, and create a huge crater in the in Dimorphos, which is a small moon orbiting Dynamo. So, well, why do you want to hit the moon? Why don't you hit the main object? I mean, I guess this is one of the questions. It's because if you just hit an object, it's very, especially very big, it's very difficult from the ground to actually measure how much. You've heard about yeah, you talked about Bruce Bruce Willis they put it on whatever on the surface and. You know, in the end you've gotta hit hit something which when it's very very far away from the earth in order to divert gradually move away and so how do you measure this well what you do is you you have this moon traveling around a bigger asteroid and you hit and, and you know how fast it goes around it's about twelve hours uh, it's about half a day really and um and what you do is you actually impact this moon and then you see how how the impact how the how the moon itself has actually been interrupted and how it actually Maybe it gets a bit faster or a bit slower. And so in that respect, you actually understand how much has the orbit changed. And and if this was coming towards the Earth, well, you know, um, you can you can do the calculations and figure out, well, uh, you know, would we have uh, saved ourselves?
1: And in this case, we're just going to ram it. We're not going to try blow it up. Is there any substance in what happened in Armageddon?
8: I mean, there's no substance. I mean, I remember uh, Bruce Willis had uh, had wind going through his hair. I don't think that exists. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So I would, I would, I wouldn't say. I think you just have to take a uh, fiction as fiction, and and the reality here is that, of course, it's going to make a big impact. But asteroids are are strange beasts. I mean, you have you have uh, objects which are made of uh, metal out there. In these cases, we know we know this one is made of stone, and sometimes you have ones which are called rubble piles. It's pretty much when they formed you know, just uh, at the time of the solar system formation, it's just little bits of rocks just stuck together, and so they're held just by gravity. And so we don't know what is this small moon made of. And this is, this is why, even though NASA, the, the NASA spacecraft, will actually hit into this smaller one, you need, uh, you need another satellite to really study it. And this actually is what the European Space Agency is working on. So we have a, a joint, uh, let's say, agreement with NASA that while NASA will, will hit the, 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 the moon of this, uh, of this asteroid pair, um, ESA is, is building a satellite now which will travel there launch in 2024 uh, it arrives in 2026 and will actually uh, get up close and personal to this, to this moon and actually study it and have a look at the crater that's been made try to figure out is it just made up of small pieces just to together is it uh, how hard is it and, and, and from this you can actually really understand uh, you, by being so close you can actually understand uh, what was what was the size of this asteroid that was a hit uh, and um, yeah, what was really the impact that, uh, that such a, such a, a fast uh, it would have on, on such a size?
1: So I guess if NASA is Bruce Willis, that would kind of make you live Tyler, watching from the <laughs> Earth as it all unfolds.
8: I mean, it's, it's, the reality with this is that um, you know, because NASA is going to hit, the, hit the, the moon, and so we'll be observing on ground with the ground-based observatories just to have a look. And you can actually tell more or less, I mean, up to a let's say 10% error, if you want to call it that, how much it's changed. But uh, this is why ESA has this agreement with NASA. We're building our own satellite. We'll go there, and it's called ERA, um, and it's it's uh, it's going to actually arrive there. It's got two little satellites which will which will um, orbit the the moon and orbit the the, the other asteroid and uh, study it and even land in the crater. So it's it's I think it's a fascinating mm, mission because mm. it's not just one, but it's actually two. Uh, two. two. Well, I don't want to say it's two for the price of one because each one of us. Uh, the budgets are different, but, <laughs> I dare but say the benefits it, yes. are. The benefits are uh, are there, and uh, and uh, it's, well, it's, it's a good collaboration, a good definitely. Mission. It's uh, exciting mission.
1: Era, yeah. is that your influence?
8: That's so. Era is is, is uh, uh, indeed. It's uh, well, I'm. I'm I have mean, got colleagues who work in era, but uh, but I've uh, there's a lot of let's say, Irish influence when it comes to ERA, and even on the mission I'm currently working on because I'm working on a mission which, which launches okay, in 2026. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exoplanetary searching mission. It's searching for planets around other stars. And, and on ERA, this, this is a satellite where build, there's going to be a, a gyroscope uh, being built by a company in Dublin. And uh, they're building, a, 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 let's say, a more advanced one for the satellite I'm working with. And so there's very much an Irish influence on, on both satellites and uh, it, it's nice to see.
1: Keep flying the flag. Lawrence O'Rourke, great talking with you and thanks for making time for us.
8: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Lawrence yeah. O'Rourke is Science Operations Coordinator with the European Space Agency, originally from County Westmeath. Once upon a time, when you were in school, did you ever have a morning where the car wouldn't start and you had to go to strange lengths to get there? Sinead, we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but okay. a chap who was in school practically yesterday <laughs> is the baby of Midlands 103.
0: <laughs> <laughs> But he's a man today apparently
1: The baby of Midlands 103 Is 21 yeah. And now whenever really you see Stephen Fitzgerald All you hear is something like this I'm Too
6: sexy
4: for my love Too sexy for my love Love's Oops. going to
6: leave
1: Today, today I think this is his song Stephen Fitzgerald, Happy 21st All right, enough of that nonsense. (laughs)
0: It's so nice to see him all grown up.
1: (laughs) I liked him better when he was a baby. Anyway, what happened in County Offaly Uh, yesterday?
0: fantastic story. So, Bannehill College, um, a student, yesterday morning couldn't get to school because it was a very frosty morning. The car wouldn't start. So, they took the tractor.
1: (laughs) Now, I thought this was highly unusual. But you say, this happened all the time when I was growing up in County Meath.
0: Yeah, so... I know it kind of happened after I left school, a lot of my brother's, young, my younger brother's friends, they got their tractor license at 16. And because like most of them lived in a rural area, they came into school on their tractors. <laughs> so you would actually see the car park would have maybe two or three tractors. It wouldn't have a huge amount. And I know a friend of mine did it sometimes when his parents couldn't drop him in.
1: Must be very rich farmers in Meath. Like Surely the tractor would be needed on the farm during the day for work
0: it was really strange because a lot of the young lads actually bought their own tractors um, they were very old tractors so you, they could be from like the 70s or 80s but they were good enough for them to be able to drive on the road get insured and uh, yeah get themselves in and out of school
1: Brida in Cray says when we were young kids going to school we lived about a mile away my mum got on her bicycle she would place me in the carrier of the bike My sister would go on the saddle. My mum would walk the bicycle to the school, drop us off, cycle home again and repeat in the afternoon. Bittersweet memories, as I think of her, says Brida. Now, a different listener says, Annette, actually, Annette says, I picked up my kids years ago in a tractor in the box of the tractor the transport box when the car wasn't available they were delighted everybody stared and I got embarrassed and yes we've had a report of children riding in the bucket of the digger Um, what else is unusual here uh, yeah different types of cars so there was an old beetle in the backyard of Tom's house never used for 10 years the main car broke down went out and lo and behold the beetle started so off he went I'm sure it wasn't taxed or insured so yes the unusual ways in which we get to school what was your preferred
0: oh we had to walk we literally lived like five minutes away from the bottom of our road so you know we very rarely got a lift I had to walk in the rain and snow and ice shocking and I didn't have a tractor so
1: well I wonder if the tractor is back in Bannehill today
0: not sure we must try and find out
1: thanks Sinead Uh, That was Bannerher College tweeting and I'm sure they got plenty of likes. So follow for more updates. Uh, Will, when it comes to public transport, we would be better off spending our money on many of the poorer children who are dying around the world. And that's never our priority. It's a shame because it's actually happening. Uh, Will, imagine having the chance to crash a rocket into an asteroid and then missing. Yeah, that's the definition of pressure and embarrassment Mike says Will are these guys going to smack something into the moon could that affect its orbit affecting our tides is this a good idea the movie 2012 happening 10 years later yikes says Mike no they're not crashing it into our moon they're crashing it into the moon of an asteroid and the moon is called Dimorphos they're not going near our own moon hands off you can relax there Mike 2012 it was a bad movie to begin with it's not going to get worse thanks Sinead for putting it all together and Kayleigh Hardiman as well thank you most of all for listening let's talk tomorrow from 9 bye bye